You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and boy, do we have a great show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because our guest, Sandeep Pandaya, is our is our guest. Because Sandeep's our guest, and he is the CEO of Everguard.ai. Sandeep, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show. So let's let's get right into it. Tell us your motivation or the inspiration to join Everguard as employee number one. Yeah, so thank you for that question. Um, you know, my my career has spanned uh, you know a little over three decades, mostly in uh, in pure technology companies. You know, large you know kind of blue chip companies, the Motorola's and Qualcomm's of the world. Um, but around 2015, you know, when uh, one could say that there was kind of a renaissance in the artificial intelligence movement going on, as it was becoming more accessible. Uh, to the world. My thesis work way back in grad school when I was a younger man was all in the artificial intelligence area. But it was at a time when when AI, you know, let's call it the winter of AI, it wasn't, wasn't cool, it wasn't sexy. So in 2015, when there seemed to be this renaissance going on, um, myself and a few other executives from, from you know, Qualcomm where I was at, we broke away and we wanted to kind of pivot into the application of technology as opposed to just making it, you know, in the smartphone space so forth. So I, I pivoted my career away from uh, just making pure tech into applying uh, technology and AI in particular in the industrial uh, workspace, you know, so started off focusing on commercial fleets and trucking. We built a, an AI camera to help truck drivers. Uh, but with respect to my current position, I think my work at my prior company got the attention of Boston Consulting Group, who was doing an executive search for this new company concept called Everguard, which was the product of an incubation between a large steel conglomerate and BCG, Boston Consulting Group. And they were looking for an executive that was experienced in tech, but also the application of AI in these industrial spaces. And um, and they came to me, you know, and, and they basically made me a pitch. They go, well, you know, what if you could build a platform that could make workers safe, which is something I care about, um, everywhere in every major industry globally? And I just paused and I thought, well, how can I say no to that? You know, if worker safety and AI are my mission, how can I say no to the chance to really make it accessible to millions of industrial workers around the world? And, uh, and so that's what led me to be employee number one and CEO of Evergarden. That was in the summer of 2019. So a couple of follow-up questions. Um, what is it about the application of AI for driver safety and now worker safety that really gets you interested? Yeah, so, you know, in artificial intelligence for anyone, and it's such a broad term, um, you know, everybody thinks they kind of know what the term means, but it's, it's like the ocean, you know, and... Um, Within the field of artificial intelligence, there are subfields, you know, areas of, of focus. Computer vision, for instance, is an area of focus. Um, and within that, you could argue, um, you know, that's really uh, human activity recognition. You know, that's another subfield within computer vision. 
it's basically monitoring what you or I or other people are doing, whether we're, you know, dancing or playing a sport, walking into a retail establishment, or working on an assembly line, working on a construction site. And so what's interesting is, is if you take the pure kind of engineering-esque uh, human activity recognition subfield in the field of computer vision and AI, and you think about how can this be useful to the world, you know, how can this be useful in keeping truck drivers safe, maybe drowsy, distracted driving, a pedestrian in the crosswalk as the driver is looking the wrong way, right? Stuff like that. Or uh, someone walking in the middle of a, a 10 million square foot, you know, factory floor and a crane is moving a payload down the aisle. Hmm. But the payload, uh, the, the crane operator actually visually can't see that there are other workers uh, in, in the line of the crane and they're looking the wrong way. You know, or someone is too close to a hazardous area and they shouldn't be, et cetera. You know, all of a sudden, if you had this kind of, you know, meta technology that could observe human behavior in complex environments and look for things that might potentially be hazardous, you suddenly see how the discipline of computer vision and human activity recognition now has a real world application, a real benefit. And, and for the consumers, for all of us consumers now, we're a lot more comfortable today in 2023 when versus 2015 when we were starting our last company because people have a ring doorbell. They know mm -hmm. when the package delivery person is there versus the porch pirate, right? It's just a very simple application of computer vision, but it's no longer mysterious. You understand the value of that tech right away on your front door. Just like now, you know, we're trying to help people understand the value inside of their the factory floor. So the example you gave of the factory floor and the crane, I can, as a vivid image, my father was an overhead crane operator in a steel mill back in Western Pennsylvania. I can appreciate the challenges wow. of running that, uh, doing that job. So tell me what EverGuard is doing specifically to enhance worker safety. Yeah. And, and so, you know, at one level, you want to step up and ask yourself a question because, you know, as a, as a venture back, uh, company, early stage company, one of the things we're always trying to do is, is, you know, appeal to customers, but also investors. So we have to have a clear value proposition. And that's kind of the nature of your question. And I, that's why I appreciate it. Um, you first have to ask, is worker safety still an issue? You know, is industrial worker safety still an important problem to be solved? Because some might say, hey, you know, these big companies, they're, they're sophisticated, they care about their employees. You know, they've been around for, you know, a century in some cases. Uh, what, what more can, can technology in Evergard add? And what you find, sadly, is despite the efforts, the best efforts of some of these leading, really thoughtful, uh, heavy industrials companies, you know, in so many verticals, uh, there are still, sadly, a lot of fatalities uh, every year. There's a lot of what they call reportable injuries, which could be something as simple as a, a hand fracture, you know, uh, but it can be very debilitating to a severe injury, you know, where someone is critically hurt, uh, maybe off the job forever, you know, not not a fatality, but but, you know, their livelihood and and everything has been impacted. Uh, sadly, you know, the the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that the economic impact of industrial reportable incidents still today is about one hundred and sixty billion dollars a year. There are literally millions of reportable incidents that happen in the U.S. alone. And globally, you could probably add one to two zeros um, in terms of order of magnitude increase on those reportable incidents. So there are still uh, there is still a need 
depending on the vertical uh, for improved worker safety. So with that in mind, uh, companies like Everguard and, and Everguard, I believe, is is at the forefront. We can talk about why in a second. Um, companies like Everguard are trying to bring deep technologies, things that we might have in our home, you know, these smart sensors and, and computer vision and things like that that we're getting used to in our homes onto the factory floor or the construction site or the mining operation. What we specifically do is we bring some technologies like artificial intelligence and computer vision. There's something called sensor fusion, which is exactly what the name says. You take multiple sensors and you combine their outputs to contextualize the world in a much uh, clearer way, just like our eyes, ears, nose, fingertips do for us, you know, where we're feeding all of that information into our brain. So we see the world richly, you know, as opposed to if we just had our eyes or just had our ears or just our fingertips. So we use sensor fusion. We use AI. We use something called edge computing. So a lot of people understand what the cloud is now. It's this magical place where all your data goes and decisions get made and you can pull photos down and all of that. And a lot of folks do, um, let's, say, let's call it analysis up in the cloud, right? So I send all the data to the cloud. And it's a great way of not having to put hardware, you know, like servers on a factory floor. The challenge is, that there are latencies, there are delays from sending the data from the factory floor up to the cloud, thinking about it, and then trying to tell the crane operator, hey, buddy, watch out, uh, you're about to hit someone with that large metal payload that you're moving. Uh, and safety is a real-time activity. You can't afford such delays if you're going to try to save someone's life. So we also have something in our technology suite called edge computing. We insist on being on-prem with our servers connected to our sensors, with our AI software, monitoring you know, that crane operator and that poor person, that worker that's walking and, and is in harm's way. So basically we integrate this kind of you know, edge compute sensor fusion AI net on the factory floor in various locations. And we turn it on with our software and there you go. And, and we have alarms and wearables and things like that that can intervene with the worker if there's an unsafe incident going on, we're all about leading indicators, meaning get ahead of the potential incident. Don't just monitor it and report it. Uh, that's less valuable, we think. Uh, and then, of course, we have a cloud presence where we send all the metadata up for analysis and coaching, because a lot of times near misses can lead to opportunities for supervisors to coach their team up, say, hey, uh, ladies, gentlemen, you know, let's be a little more alert, a little more vigilant when we're doing the following things, et cetera. So, you know, in broad strokes, that's kind of what Everguard tries to do. And we do it across industries, uh, you know, though we're heavy in steel right now. So I have to ask because there's a level of complexity to making it simple. Yeah. And I'm wondering, what have you learned as the CEO of Everguard since you've launched the firm and begun to do deployments and talk with prospects and clients? Yeah, you know, you're right. I, I think um, it would be very easy to assume that the simplicity with which you deploy, let's call it a smart home uh, set of, you know, sensors and, and software like your smart speaker, your your ring doorbell, your smart thermostat, um, or you just connect them, you know, and, and there, there you go. And you got a mobile app and, you, and you're all set. In some ways, it should be that simple. Uh, and it can be. But 
what you find, and, and it's, it was awe-inspiring for me coming from the, the very sanitized tech world of the Motorola's and the Qualcomm's and others, you know, where you're building technology and you're part of a supply chain and you feed it in and, and um, you know, you don't really see how things were finally put together. But when you walk, a, a, you know, the floor of a steel mill and you're near a blast furnace or you walk <laughs> on a busy construction site, these are complex uh, environments. They are relentless. Uh, they are uh, harsh for the workers, but there's a lot of important stuff going on, and and it's awe-inspiring. It's like a busy airport in terms of the movement of vehicles and cranes and goods and people and and a whole lot of activities that can that can harm people. So at some level, you have to step back and respect the environment. Try to solve small problems in very very specific areas. So what we call use cases, you know, we might be looking for, you know, for instance. Um, uh, what we call virtual fencing around a hazardous area uh, where, you know, an Im important machine process is going on, like the blast furnace, for instance. And there are times where it's okay for people to be near the blast furnace. And then there are times where there are not. Sadly, even today, there are fatalities near a blast furnace because sometimes a lot, tons and tons of metal get dropped in at the top of the blast furnace and then it's melted down by electric arcs. It's, it's wild to see. It's like an act of God kind of thing. But, uh, heavy metal can pop out of the top or fall. Mm -hmm. And if someone's in the wrong place at the wrong time, they can get hurt. So you can take that complex operation and simplify it to say, okay, during these times, people are allowed in this area and your camera and your edge server and your alarming systems will ensure that if someone accidentally creeps in to that area at the wrong time, that you can alert that individual through a wearable. You can turn on alarms. You can... Uh, alert the blast furnace, um, you know, operator, um, you know, it, so you took a basic simple concept like your, the, you know, the camera that's watching your driveway to make sure that someone's not walking on your driveway, right? You, you know about it right away with your security <laughs> system. Right. It's kind of the same simple application of that technology, but in a complex industrial environment that could save someone's life. And then we have, of course, other, other cases like that, but when you mix them all together, right, the collection of all those small let's call it base hits, right? Like in Moneyball, it leads to a, a winning strategy to keep all the workers safe at the, at the facility, right? And that's what we're trying to do. And that's a high bar, you know, to be 99.99% on time, accurate and dependable in those harsh environments, I think yeah. it's part of the challenge that gives you a point of differentiation, hopefully in that space. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. So one of my past experiences was working with, uh, you know, at my previous company when we were working in trucking, but I was working with some autonomous vehicle uh, developers, you know, some of the biggest names in, in auto. Right. And there is a lot of religion you find uh, when it comes to technology and each company uh, kind of has its view. You know, Tesla, for instance, had a lot of religion, I think maybe because of Elon Musk, about only using cameras on Teslas for autonomous driving. And you could argue, well, okay, there's a lot of value to that, but you know, one should not not be religious about it. You should use the best set of sensors to penetrate the harsh environment of the roadways, right? Because one of the challenges with cameras is anybody that grew up in the Midwest or the East Coast knows in winter you're going to get snow on them, you're going to get uh, sleet uh, and and other kind of stuff, and and you know, if the field of view is blocked, you suddenly your fancy autonomous vehicle system not going to work so well. So, you know, there are other sensors like LIDAR, radar, et cetera. So where I'm going with this is 
Our approach at industrial safety and AI, and the reason we use sensor fusion is we are sensor agnostic. There are times when you find that like a camera near a blast furnace, for instance, it collects dust. There's so much particulate hmm. that the camera lenses need to be wiped every hour. So what other sensors wouldn't need that? Well, maybe LIDAR, maybe radar, maybe wearables that track your location. Same thing on a construction site or, you know, let's say, Rick, I was trying to measure your body for heat stress. Well, maybe a wearable with uh, special biometrics for core physiology is better than trying to point a camera and see if you're sweating profusely, right? So, and dehydration and heat stress lead to a lot of injury because you get woozy and then suddenly you're operating a crane when you're woozy, not so good, right? Mm -hmm. Or you walk in front of one. So what we are, and I think this is one of the reasons our clients like us, we have no religion about the type of sensor, right? There's a lot of companies that are pushing an intelligent hat or pushing a wearable only or pushing a camera CV solution only. We have no such religion. We will use whatever sensors penetrate the harsh environment the best. We will glue it together with our AI intelligence uh, with the sole purpose of getting ahead of the, the incident. And other than that, yeah, we, we really don't care. As you're answering these questions, I can't help but think about all the enabling technology that you're relying on to be able to complete the solution for the client. It, it It's interesting to me how entrepreneurs take a rate of change in a bunch of different technologies and then make a solution out of that uh, series of enabling technologies. Yeah, and, and as a startup, sometimes you're forced to that position because you can't do everything. Right. And that leads to, you know, how do you, how do you as a young company pioneer technology that's going to move the needle in these very, very large foundational industries and carve out enough of a niche that it's sustainable and, like you said, differentiated. And, and, and the constraint of not being able to do everything forces you to think <laughs> in ways uh, that are, others might think clever. We just think of it as survival. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of using constraints to create opportunities. So I, thank you. I, I, I put that one in there for you based on our last conversation. But I, I, I agree with it. I, it. It's a forcing function on, on being efficient, uh, both technically and commercially and with the limited resources you have. So you're building a pretty deep reservoir of understanding how to present to investors a technology company. Uh, based on your experience, Sandy, is there any best practices or things that you have learned that you could share with our audience? Yeah, you know, it's I've done this now at two companies. Um, you know, at the previous one, helped raise uh, the A and the B round, and here, obviously, you know, since inception. We've raised money multiple times and we continue to do so. It's just the life and the journey of, of a young company. But I think um, some of the interesting things are that uh, you have to be patient uh, because, you know, your timeline is not necessarily the investor's timeline. Uh, you'll always, they'll, it's their job to, to go slow, to be thoughtful, you know, to make sure they, they really understand whether, you know, you're worth investing in. And so you have to reach out to lots of folks and, and that requires a bit of humility uh, and not taking it personally when they say it's you're a little too early for them or you're a little too late for them or you don't fit their thesis. It's OK. Uh, it's all very polite and respectful. And you just have to keep looking for, you know, the investor or investors whose thesis, you know, whose philosophy investing lines up with yours. Uh, and so I would say that as as, you know, CEO, founder, anybody trying to raise money. Don't don't shotgun. 
um, you know, your pitch out to a whole bunch of folks. There's a lot of marketplaces to try to identify at least some initial alignment between you and your, your target audience for what you're trying to pitch, just so that you don't have to necessarily validate your reason for being as much as your traction and the milestones and the success you're having. Uh, and, you know, there is a lot of money in the world. And if you look hard enough, you will find investors most likely that are somewhat interested in your particular, you know, cup of tea, whatever it happens to be. So just be patient. Uh, don't take things personally and try to stay humble if you can. Yeah, that's hard to take that. It's one of the lessons that we shared a little earlier on an earlier version of the show I did today, talking to a professional gambler about taking the emotion out of playing poker which yeah. can be a very hard thing. And taking the emotion out of running a business can be difficult too, especially if you're passionate about the cause. So, so you are in the AI arena. You're building technology. Your company is Everguard.ai. I'm wondering from your vantage point, how do you see artificial intelligence impacting other industries and business yeah. models? Well, you know, if, if anyone's been reading the news, watching the news, whether you're techy or techy or not, um, everybody knows how to spell AI now, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's the, uh, the main alphabets in the alphabet soup now uh, in every investor pitch, in every product pitch, uh, in every news article, it seems. And so I would, I would say to some degree, the word has kind of lost meaning. That said, it's pervasive, right? Some people equate it to the electricity of the 21st century. It's the same equivalent, you know, the, the steam engine, whatever you want. Um, and on the other hand, you know, if you a recent McKinsey report I read said that somewhere a little over 80% of the companies, large corporates, you know, the, the best companies in the world are doing some sort of AI related initiatives in their company, mm -hmm. but less than half have seen any real uh, business impact from their initiatives. And I think what that speaks to is that it's one thing to do AI projects. It's another thing to solve problems where AI is the right tool or some flavor of AI is the right tool uh, for creating business value or some other type of measurable value. And, you know, just to kind of look at uh, like Apple, for instance, right? Uh, just to maybe, they were always good at marketing and, and kind of, you know, figuring out what's important. And I think they still have that. You never really see Apple talk a lot about the word AI in any of their products. And I can guarantee you there's a lot, there's a lot there. But I think what they've got right, and, and maybe it's a lesson for others, don't spend so much time talking about AI because I think the term has been overused. The question is what problems are you solving better than others? And it just so happens that maybe AI is the secret ingredient. Maybe it's AI plus five other things that's the secret ingredient. But um, the word AI itself, to say that it's in everything, I think, is is assumed. Uh, but it's really what you do differently with it. What what big problems are you solving and can you measure the results? And if you can't, then it really doesn't matter whether you have AI in there or not, not anymore. It's interesting because we've just gone through kind of earnings season and how many technology companies have found a way in their updates to bring the term AI into their future roadmap. Yeah and getting investors interested in the next release, oh, the next release, when we have an AI-enabled fill-in-the-blank. Exactly. Well, and then there's old AI, and then the, the buzzword these days is generative AI. You know, if you're a VC and you see a company that's not just doing AI, but they're doing generative AI, then they're more interesting. Well, okay, but are they solving a problem with it? You know, is anybody 
buying their stuff because they have generative AI? I think those are always going to be the most important questions and, and, and getting caught up in the hype cycles, um, you know, can usually, uh, you know, lead, <laughs> get you in trouble. That is such a teachable moment, Sandeep, which is what problems are you truly solving? That's basic entrepreneurship, isn't it? Exactly. What's, what problem are you solving? So let's talk about tomorrow and Evergard. We're going to have you back on the show at some point in the future. Talk to us about your vision for the future of your company. Yeah. I, so again, thank you for, for having us here and uh, having me here and, and, and letting me talk about Evergard. I think as far as Evergard's future goes, I think it's part of a movement uh, that we see kind of at a macro level, which is, you know, the digitization of heavy industry, the digitization of manufacturing, right? And that's also part of, I think, the reboot that U.S. manufacturing is going through because there's a lot of, let's call it reshoring of manufacturing. You know, we see for various reasons, you know, trade tensions, uh, COVID, supply chain issues. You, you, you just see a lot of reasons why manufacturing is coming back strong. And one of the reasons I'm excited about Evergard and other companies that are trying to digitize, let's call it the factory, you know, or the industrial enterprise, is if we ever guard among, along with others can help create a digital backbone in these large industrials that have more or less been kind of doing things the same way for a long time, but now they're coming back, they might have a chance to kind of re-architect and reboot, you know, these new uh, facilities, you know, as part of, of starting up manufacturing here again, then I think the opportunity to inject AI above that digital backbone is there. And then whether we ever guard or someone else uses AI plus that digital infrastructure to make the machines run faster and be more productive or track workers, make sure that, you know, they're safe, uh, you know, they're well, uh, that everything that is needed to create a good work environment is in its place. And then all the reporting up to the C-suite and the board because of the environmental, social and corporate governance movement, the ESG and sustainability movement, you know, the board and the C-suite and the shareholders now want real-time telemetry on how things are going on the on the factory floor from a productivity perspective, but also from a sustainability perspective. And the digitization of the factory floor allows that to happen. And I think Evergard is going to be a player uh, that helped enable that happen. At least that's our hope. Well, that's an exciting future. And well said, Sandeep. Thank you for that. I uh, You got me excited. You know, anywhere there's a lot of information and data technology, digitization, artificial intelligence, it's made for that application. And there's certainly a ton of information and data available in the environments that you're looking to make more secure and safe. Agreed. So if someone would like to learn more about you, my friend, or your company, how, where should they go? Yeah, you can find out a little of both. Uh, if you go to www.evergard.ai, that's our corporate website. Uh, there's a little bit about us. And of course, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well. But definitely, you know, if, if you're interested, check out the website. There's lots of information there. We also had a very interesting press release today that uh, was an independent study about how Evergard solution, at least according to the University of Texas Department of Engineering, is considered uh, the number one uh, AICB uh, worker safety system uh, in the market. So that was exciting. That just hit the wire today. So breaking so news on critical mass business talk show. Congratulations. Exactly. That's exactly. let's, let's amplify that message. Sandeep. That's great. Exactly. Check it out. Well, thank you for giving of your time today. I really appreciate it. 
I'd like to thank, thank our audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Sandeep's interview is a part of our catalog now that's 1,400 plus interviews deep. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur who has a story to tell and you'd like to share it with our audience here on Critical Mass Business Talk Show, then reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I on LinkedIn. Coincidentally, that's my website as well, rickfranzi.com. Would love to hear from you. And Haley and I can work with you to see if we can get you on a program in the future. And until the next time we all have a chance to be together, here's hoping that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Thank you.